0: what's going on ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of off the dome radio we have a really sweet episode for you today we sit down with paul Benagiri. now he is the co-founder and ceo of archive and what archive is is a software company and they kind of automate digital marketing so with building their software using ai technology they kind of help streamline the process of marketing for influencers and nano influencer communities uh, more specifically so in the episode paul goes through the concept for him for his business kind of where he started how he got the idea for archive and you know he had a few ideas before then that led up to that and then he goes through um how he's able to be successful, lead a globally remote team. Yep, they don't have an actual office, so they were all remote, all around the world. So he kicks things off. You know how he created his first couple apps, um, what he did before Archive, leading into it, and then we ask him how he kind of navigated through the pandemic. You know what he saw that could be improved upon within the business, and then he talks about what he's learned about himself as a leader, uh, you know, from inside the business, outside the business, you know, the things that have helped mold him into, you know, the business owner and leader that he is. Tim, what'd you think of our conversation with Paul today?
1: Yeah, I I love this conversation. I I had never even thought this this concept was a thing until I talked to Paul. So I was, I mean, you'll see in this interview how, how like I was going crazy with the questions. I wanted to ask him literally <laughs> everything. Um, so yeah, and my, my question to him was like, yeah, I've never heard of this before. Like, is there anybody else that's doing this? And he, I mean, in that part of the episode, he kind of explained what makes his company different, what makes his software different, um, how they build meaningful relationships with influencers, um, what the competitive lands, landscape looks like, and yeah, just, just kind of what makes him different. Like, whether whether you're someone who owns an e-commerce business, who owns any business, who's interested in marketing in general. Uh, I just think that you're going to find this episode really interesting because I mean they they're redefining the way companies use influencer marketing in their business and how it's it's a win-win for everybody, not only the, the company, but also the 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 marketing influencers and everybody involved. Um, and then obviously like we in the show with our, with our typical question of, of how he wants to be remembered and paul had a very unique response to that so you, yeah. you you'll definitely want to hear that part of it and yeah, it was a really engaging interview, and we, we learned a lot, and I know you guys will too, and um, just a really unique concept, and you guys can find everything about uh, the Archive Company, um, the, their website in our in our show description, so if you want to learn more about uh, Paul or his company, you can go there, but yeah, uh, I know you guys are going to love this, and you're going to be engaged the whole time, and uh, without further ado, episode 163, Paul Benagiri. Mm-hmm.
0: So, I'm Colin, and then this is Tim. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Excited to chat, and good to meet you. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate you taking the time, man. So, you're in Paris right now. That's exactly correct. Okay. We're doing things wrong, because we're in the Midwest. We're in Indianapolis, and it's humid as all get out. So
2: Hey, I was just... In Miami and the Bahamas actually. So I like the dryness. But I think humidity is nice. Some people give it a lot of hate, but it feels like the, the world is hugging you every time you leave your house. True. Also, <laughs> you AC, not a bad thing. Man,
0: humidity,
2: if you don't have AC, then that's just impossible to deal with.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair. But man, I don't know. I guess I don't know. I would like a little change. I'd like a little drier. Everyone's like, Oh, is it like the dry heat like Arizona? I was like, I've never been to Arizona, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Paul, you said you had a team retreat in Paris. Do You guys always—is your team from all over the globe? Is it mostly stateside? Then you go overseas for for cool retreats. How's that? How's that work? Yeah, good
2: question. So, we started the company a little over a year ago, and we now have about thirty people full time, and we're all remote. So, we started. The, I remember starting the company, and even with with the with the core team, uh, it was just when COVID started happening in LA. And so really couldn't meet, go to the office, do anything. So that forced us to adopt really remote first principles. And we were just like, hey, let's just work with people around the world. And it's been really awesome. So we have people in the U.S. on on all coasts. We have people in Europe, in Amsterdam, Latvia, um, Minsk, all all around Ukraine. And so we have two teams, uh, one of them for Archive Communities, which is our influencer marketing uh, community service and one of them archive app our pure software product and so this quarter we're doing a software retreat we actually had to push it back a couple times because travel restrictions just are, are crazy and so we're really happy that we can finally do it one of the interesting things about just having a remote team is that there's no GM, gna there's no like office costs and so you can just like fly everyone in a location and still pay way less so you kind of get the both best of work, both worlds you get to meet yeah. people in your life and and just see, see what people look like. You know, like when, when, I don't know how tall you guys, you guys might be like six feet eight. You might be yeah. like two. I don't know. Who knows? Um, a so,
0: six, eight, I'd be, wish, I'd be, I'd be yeah. in the league. Yeah. Right.
2: No, but you'd, you'd be surprised. One of my team members, uh, Evgeny, when I met him for the first time, I was like, Whoa, you're tall, dude. He's like six foot six, six foot eight. I had no idea. <laughs>
1: And the, the other way around, you meet someone they're they're a special short. You got to be careful about. Oh, whoa, you are so short. <laughs> you got to be careful with that side of it. Yeah. You
0: don't
2: use, you don't use those examples in in, in Zoom calls. So <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. But uh, so for our audience, do you, I mean you talk about your company? Do you maybe just want to give a brief overview for our audience of like what your company does, what solutions you provide, and uh, just go for yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. So we have two products. In general, we came from an e-commerce background where we built software and, and e-commerce businesses uh, successfully and learned a lot through the process about how to grow, how to optimize your ads, how to build, you know, build demand so that people could go to your website and, and get your products, whether it's SEO, Facebook ads. And so with Archive, we focused on taking a lot of those learnings and processes and building software and artificial intelligence to help streamline all of those initiatives to make it really easy for a brand owner or a digital marketing team to do their job and launch their campaigns in a really easy way. You don't have to worry about saving this and that and all of these processes. So we have two products. Our first product is called Archive App. It's a really, really simple app on Shopify. You install it, you connect your Facebook and Instagram account, and it will automatically save and label all of the stories that you get tagged in. So if you've got a brand that consumers are are sharing or you're working with influencers and they're posting in stories, those stories disappear within 24 hours. And so some people like have to check in every day and and even when they're on vacation or on the weekend, they'll have to check into Instagram to save that really valuable content. Mm -hmm. So we have an app that will automatically save that for you, put it in one place and make it really easy to find. So that's a starting point for us. And eventually we're gonna let brands use these assets in different ways. And then our second product is called Archive Communities. It's our take on influencer marketing. So we've built a ton of software and have a database of over hundred million influencers. And that lets us, what we call is, is build nano-influencer communities for brands. So instead of saying, having a brand and paying them, paying 50 influencers, a thousand bucks each, or, or, or 50 influencers, 10,000 bucks each, to do a couple of posts, which is not super authentic, doesn't have like really good long-term benefits for your brand will find a community of influencers for your brand and use our software to build relationships with them, find influencers and activate a large number of them. And again, it's like, instead of working with 50 big influencers, we can work with a thousand small influencers and drive a lot more content, a lot more impact. And the cool thing is that because there's so many things happening, it becomes a lot more data driven. If you're working with 10 influencers and four don't perform, you're kind of screwed. Like what, what learning are you gonna get? It, it, it's kind of chance. But if you're working with 500 or 1,000 and you have a really rigorous process for tracking engagement and performance, you can learn and optimize your community over time. So those are our two different products. And again, it's really, really focused on, on e-commerce companies because that's what we have experience in and, and that's what we've been building software for.
1: Okay. That's really cool how, how you're doing that. I mean, do you have a, I mean, I didn't talk about e-commerce companies. Do you have like a niche that you're doing within e-commerce or do you kind of serve all types of e-commerce businesses?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting. E-commerce means a lot of things to different people. We really focus on on direct consumer brands and essentially brands that have products that people are excited to try. Um, Why? Because our special sauce is gifting. And when you're gifting influencers, it's it's a magical kind of like new type of relationship where it's kind of like quid pro quo. you're like, Hey, would love for you to try this product. Maybe it's a t-shirt. Maybe it's a cap. Maybe it's, maybe it's a mic. could be anything. Mm -hmm. Um, The influencer tries it and they really like it. Maybe they want more of it or they're excited to support the brand. So they'll share and use their audience. You can't really do that with, you know, a digital product and things like that. So we specialize a lot more in these physical products that people can experience with archive app. It, we are focused on Shopify for now. And so I would say our, our niche is, is Shopify brands, but it doesn't matter if it's fashion, hardware, Gardening—it um, could really be
0: anything. That's crazy, and I feel like e-commerce. I mean, for the last few years, but now people are catching on. Like e-commerce is the thing, where it's it's so big. Um, you know, that's that's the business model. Um, and you mentioned authenticity. So to to get to stay authentic with your products, your people, do you do a lot of research on? Here's our product. Let's find some influencers who might be drawn to that? Or is it kind of, let's let's capture this many influencers as much as we can, see if they like it. What's kind of the order of operations there?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's both. When we work with brands, with archive communities and, and a brand comes to us and like, hey, Paul, here's our goal. We want to increase sales or we want to increase brand awareness or we want content. And we're excited to build a community of influencers to support that. We start off by really understanding their personas, who they're targeting and in order to build the community we think of it as a, a community as a, as a number of groups of influencers we call them influencer buckets. So one of them might be if you're let's call it a, a health company we, we work with a big uh, for sigmatic for example, a big uh, you know health uh, direct consumer brand they're, they're, they're crushing it they might launch a new product and they might have, fitness hardcore people. They might have like casual moms. They might have like yoga influencers. And so we come up with a couple of different theses for the types of influencers that would be a really good fit for the brand. Because it's interesting because when we're looking for influencers, we have to set some targeting parameters because we can't just do fitness people for everyone. That's what a lot of platforms that you do and and you run out of those influencers because everyone's already working with the 10 fitness influencers. So we have to be a little bit more specific. And so we come up with these mini personas and we want to find influencers or personas of influencers that will influence your final persona, which is your customer persona. And so we kind of think of like, okay, who's not necessarily, we're not going to target our customers on Instagram because they might not be all influencers, but we're going to find influencers that maybe have a 20 or 40 or 50 or 70% overlap with our customer demo. And then we'll look at the community over time. We want it to be really diverse. And so we'll be like, hey, like, are dudes crushing it compared to, to girls? Uh, you know, are, are these golfer dads just, just making it rain compared to like <laughs> the, these, these that we'd expect? Sometimes that is the case because different niches will have different level of competitiveness, right? Um, so for example, if you're working beauty influencers, every beauty company is doing influencer marketing. And so those influencers are going to be a lot harder to get to. Whereas if you have maybe a, uh, what's another, like a yoga mom or something that maybe isn't as targeted. A lot of her followers care about beauty and it will be an authentic story. And so that might perform well. One of the interesting things with smaller influencers, and we really focus on nano influencers is that with influencers, there's, there's kind of like two types of influence. If you follow a professional athlete or maybe like the world's greatest, uh, food blogger, you follow him, not because you really relate to him or you know him, but because he knows a lot about food or knows a lot about his industry. And so you have this kind of like uh, practical influence on a, on a subject matter with nano influencers. It's like, if I'm, I'll follow you on Instagram after, right. And if you post something about shoes or, or a hat or a fishing rod, it doesn't really matter whether you're an expert or not. We have this relationship. I, I developed this, this bond and this, this care about your, your opinion. And so I'll be interested. And if I'm interested in, in, in fishing rods and you talk about a fishing rod, even though you're not a fishing rod expert, I'd be like, oh, my friend cares about that. It's probably a cool brand. I'll check him out. So that's kind of like really the dynamic that we go after.
0: That's cool.
1: Gotcha. And then this, this, these softwares you said two two softwares. What? How'd you come up with this proof of concept? Was this something you developed yourself? Was this something you collaborated with someone on? A, I know you said you have a team, but like, you really want to walk us through like the inception of it, like how it came to fruition, and um, how, how you went yeah. about de- developing and
2: it. For sure, and, and I can tell you the full story because one. I guess piece of software led to the second one too okay so when we were the the company that i ran e-commerce for is on, on the founding team for was called hbmn Healthy modern nutrition uh we create products we have a keto food bar that's really delicious and, and a bunch of health products that help people with performance a lot of new products in the keto space one of the things that we were doing was trying to grow and and do influencer marketing we did these big paid influencer programs and we paid this big influencer And one time he drove $30,000 of sales. We're like, cool, this is great. Let's do it again. And then the second video, he he generated like $2,000. We're just like, what? Like what happened? Um, And so we're like, wow, this is like really spiky. Like how do we do influencer marketing properly? And we, a lot of my friends at companies like Halo Top, companies like MVMT were running these gifting programs and these communities of influencers. So what they were doing instead of, in addition of, of doing these big paid campaigns is they would give, product. Some people call it seeding. Some people call it gifting products to a thousand people. And they would hire people in-house. They would have like eight full-time team members just managing Google Sheets. And you're like, okay, cool. Let's do that. Let's let's accept we're not like, we don't have that much cash. We don't want to hire like eight people in LA to do this. Let's maybe, you know, work with some virtual assistants and Google Sheets and try to automate all of that. And so that's what we did. And it started off with Google Sheets at HVMN. And then when we were thinking about, when I was thinking about starting a new company, I was really excited about e-commerce and I was actually looking to, you know, Jeff and I were talking to companies about building specifically like Shopify apps for like Facebook ad targeting and things like that. But a lot of my friends were like, hey, actually, can you just like, we'll we'll pay you not for the apps, but for this gifting program you're running at HVMN, can you do the same thing for us? And we're like, oh, yeah, sure. Let's do that to bootstrap the company. And that led us to iteratively building a better and better program. We started off by adding automation, like, you know, using Airtable and different scripts. We use different kind of like mail merge and tracking. And then we started gathering data. We started scraping Instagram just because we would run out of influencers you could easily find. And so it, it went from a Google sheet to kind of this Airtable system to having our engineers replace each component one at a time. So for example, sourcing influencers was super manual. We used to spend like 10 hours to find 200 influencers, and then we built a bunch of software that could find influencers, we redesign Instagram's UI so we can quickly like flick through influencers and see the relevant thing, remove bad influencers, and that cut it down to one hour. And so we kind of like built different chunks of the system and now we have a full-fledged platform that we run internally um, and, and, and that's kind of like how it, it lets that with, and, and so that that's with Archive Communities, this, this platform that we have that helps brands curate communities and, and, and work with thousands of influencers in a really seamless mm-hmm. way. Now with Archive App, That came through Archive Communities. We were working with you know companies and generating thousands of user-generated content and posts on Instagram. And our team was manually saving these posts. And we had like weekend shifts for people to save this content. And it was a lot of work. And we're like, hey, let's automate that. That's kind of like not a great thing to do on the weekend is to just go check your inbox and save it. And and we see all these brands doing it themselves internally. For example, one company we work with, they have three full-time interns saving content from Instagram manually into Google oh, drive. Geez. And I, I have a software background. So I'm like, yeah, this is dumb. Like we got it. Like, <laughs> automate. <laughs> yeah. so we automated it. Um, and, and when we did that for archive communities, we realized that not only did our archive communities customers need this, but like all e-commerce brands need to save their Instagram content. It disappears for everyone, not just, not just us. And so that led to archive app where we took, a segment of our archive community stack and focus it as its own kind of like self-serve app that anyone can use archive communities is on the pricier side of things. We typically start off at 10 K a month retainers and we try to scale communities. So we go from maybe 150 influencers a month to 1000 and work with larger brands. And so we had a lot of smaller brands are like, Hey, this is really cool. I want to save this content. I don't want to like sit in the bathroom on Sunday and like screenshot my stories and then send them to Slack or Google drive. So that's how we, we, build the tech and, and really came across Archive app as its own product.
1: That's, yeah. That's amazing. So that, and you, you, I feel like you explained that in a really clear way too. a very complex yeah. concept in a clear way. So I appreciate you explaining that. Uh, so and is this just, this is just for Instagram and Facebook? This is
2: just for, just for Instagram right now. And okay. we'll be expanding for different services. Our philosophy in terms of creating products is we want to get to market really, really quickly. We want to launch with something that's like embarrassing and then iterate from there. We want to build a really, really differentiated solution for the biggest problem for some customers, and then we can expand. So we want to have a really, really bulletproof program on Instagram compared to TikTok. Because when you're building software, if you have to do TikTok and YouTube and Instagram, it's actually going to be like 10 times slower than just building for Instagram. And so we, we want to kind of build really, really focused first. Obviously, in the future, we will we'll expand to other services, and we already yeah. have plans and, and things in motion for that. But right now, we're really focused on Instagram. We also, it, it, it's actually interesting. One of the reasons we started on Instagram is because of the nature of influencers on Instagram. Yeah. If you're running a program on TikTok, and you're activating influencers, it's very unpredictable. Why? Because there's this huge virality engine, right? Like you, you see these stories of small influencers that have, 5,000 followers going viral and and getting a million views. That doesn't really happen on Instagram. People don't go viral on Instagram as much. However, on Instagram with stories, you get predictable views, right? You can post a terrible story and a great story and they'll get similar engagement in terms of views. Mm -hmm. So when you're a company and you're building a community, If you're stacking up these small pieces and small dominoes with all these small influencers and they're posting on the regular, you can get very, very consistent results by working with a large set of influencers on Instagram. On TikTok, the strategy would be a little bit different. I'd focus on being really creative, working really closely with specific influencers, as opposed to kind of doing this community building approach where you're you're working with a large amount of influencers and gifting them every month.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And and do you think that that's the case because... TikTok, they they've done a good job of like ha- like having the deep learning aspect and being able to like use data to curate the content that people want. Where that's probably why it makes it so unpredictable, right?
2: Exactly. I think yeah. TikTok just built a great product and yeah. it solved a lot of the problems that people had with Instagram, and and Instagram's doing Reels to try to replicate that for for their own right you know, their, their own customers. It, it's kind of like really interesting. TikTok got really good at understanding, you know, using deep learning to understand what content is. And mm-hmm. now that they actually understand what content is, they can use that information to predict like what you're gonna like and what you're gonna watch. And, and when you when you use the For You page on TikTok, you're gonna see, I don't know what the percentage is, but a lot of the content is gonna be people you don't follow. On Instagram, you really are following people you are following and, and yeah. seeing
0: content
2: of people you follow. So it's a very different dynamic. Definitely, mm-hmm.
1: definitely, that makes sense. Uh, And then I'm also curious, like when you bring on a new client to to use your product, what what does the onboarding process look like of, of installing your software for them? And then how involved do you stay after that with the company?
2: Yeah, good question. So I'll answer for both. With Archive app, it's actually super easy to install. We technically don't even need to do anything. You could just sign up manually. However, we are taking a hands-on approach because we're still in an early stage and want to get a lot of feedback from customers. So we have a waitlist and we'll pick customers on our waitlist and onboard them at a certain time during the week. We'll have myself, Sergey, who leads design for Archive App and and Evgeny, one of our, uh, our head of engineering will be on the call and we'll onboard the customer, the three of us. And we have a survey to understand the type of e-commerce company they are type of marketing they do the type of channels they focus on do they do a lot of facebook ads instagram ads who 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 works in marketing at that company do they have like one person or five people cuz we really want to understand that customer and and start to see like hey is our app right now resonating really well with the bigger companies or the smaller companies with the fashion companies or the watch companies maybe it's maybe it's for any type of company but that is also doing facebook ads and we we're handholding people through the process so we can maximize learning This is in early stages of building the product. And I think that's really important. We're learning a lot because we want to, our product is an ever evolving product, right? Like what we're thinking about is not like, Hey, like we're let's make some money off the current product. It's, Hey, like, let's figure out what we need to build over the next six months. so Our product is actually like 10 times better. I think we're very ambitious with the roadmap that we want to do with archive app. First we're collecting stories. We want to make it super easy to save all of your content, pull in eventually TikTok, other things. Also making really easy to find content. And so understanding how people are searching for content is really important for us. So it's actually pretty hands-on and 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 not self-serve yet. Eventually it will be self-serve and we'll use tools like intercom or things like that to design like a really good onboarding sequence. Um, but for now we're taking a really hands-on approach because we want to understand how customers are using the product. Because, you know, I've I've I can't be the only one like thinking about features. We actually have to do it based on what what people really need. Right. With Archive Communities, that is, looks a little bit more like a, a white glove agent, tech enabled agency platform right now. So we have a, a full on onboarding process where we have a Google doc, we have an onboarding team, we'll run people through a bunch of questions to understand their goals, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And then we have essentially like a bunch of templates that we use in, in duplicate to kind of create like the email servers that we need, create like the influencer buckets, create the email templates that we we do outreach for. And so that's like much, much more thorough. Um, But again, one of the nice things about being hands-on in onboarding is really understanding like what the hell the customer wants so that you can just do a better job fulfilling, right? Right. I think some, like if you don't know what the company wants, how are you going to optimize the program for them?
1: Yeah, you can't, I mean, in the best... I mean, effective way to do that is to have like a human being interface with them and really make sure that they know that someone is understanding what they're saying. So yeah, that makes sense. How many employees did you say you had?
2: We have 30 right now. 30.
1: Okay. And and how, how distributed is it between the software team and the.
2: So we have um, two co-founders. Okay. Um, We have a head of engineering and a VP of ops. And then we have two full-time designers, I think eight full-time engineers. And so that's, that's a software team okay. and then we have, but I think the rest are split between different roles on the, uh, what we call our, our program team. So these are really, really awesome marketers that help run our software for brands. So if a brand's like, Hey, I want a community of 500 influencers, you know, there are influencer platforms they could use, but they have to hire someone and train someone to do it. And so the way that we work with brands is we have software that we know how to run really, really well. And so part of the, you know, software contract or service contract is that we'll actually have someone that is killer at influencer marketing to run this program for the brand. And then they're talking with the brand on a regular basis, email, Slack calls, whatever, you know, whatever makes sense. Um, and and so we have quite a bit of, of, of those folks.
0: Okay, good. And, and how has, um, from maybe last year to this year, or even the last couple of years with your marketing pandemic, uh, since you're a lot of e virtual, have you had much changes in the way you've gone about your business, your software, marketing, or has it kind of stayed consistent the last couple of years?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we, we started the company literally when COVID started. So it was, well, okay. we, we just went went head in. Um, I think we do things very differently than previous companies I was involved in. Um, from a marketing perspective, right now, we we don't have any marketing, we're all referral driven, uh, you know, really fortunate to just have a, a good network of people I've worked with in the past, and we have really good retention with with our programs. And so people are constantly referring, you know, other other brands, just because our offering is pretty unique in terms of the scale of influencers we, we can reach with, with this level of authenticity. In terms of company, company processes, it's a combination. So things have been changing all the time. I wouldn't say because of COVID. Um, we just have been remote since day one and a lot has to change as you go from five, six people to 30. And even with 30 people, I think that's something that we're very thoughtful about, right? The company is a machine and there's a lot of things that you can work on. You can work on people, bringing in new people, improving people, coaching them. You can work on product, right? And having teams and systems to improve the product. You can also work on the company dynamics itself. So Thinking about how to improve your culture, setting up systems like OKRs, really good one-on-ones and management, you know, training and things like that. So we're constantly evolving and constantly looking at different ways to improve how we run things.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about um, maybe the, the benefits, but also the challenges of having a fully remote team, people in different time zones, people in different areas of the country? How have you kind of, as a company, navigated that? And um, Yeah speak more?
2: Yeah, I think that there's probably like a couple of big benefits. The first one is that you have access to talent around the world. And so if you have an amazing photography studio in Spain, like you can work with them because you don't have a rule that you will only have people that can walk into the office or commute within one hour. And so I used to live in San Francisco and, and, and Silicon Valley and I spent time living in LA and I live in Miami in hubs of different things. And not all the best people for your business are gonna be there. It's also really competitive to work in these hubs. There's a lot of people that are rotating jobs really often. And what we found is by working with people around the world, you can offer really differentiated opportunities and you end up working with people that can be really, really loyal. And and I think that's been like a a really, really valuable thing. I think we have really good retention in terms of of people on the team. And so a lot of the people that we started Archive with, I've been working for... Jeff, for example, for eight years, with Adam for like three, four years, Evgeny for, for three, four years. Um, and so that's really something that is important because nothing compounds faster than people. If you're able to have really awesome people that can level up and grow, they get more ownership in the projects, your company gets bigger and they can work on more things, they get smarter or, or more equipped with different skills and they have like more context and more trust. That's super, super powerful. Um, the other thing is it forces you to really to adopt good, I would say, just company operations really quickly. If you're eight people in a room, in an office, like you don't really need, you can get away with like no notes. You can get away with no status updates with like light stuff. If you're eight people in Slack around the world, you just need to document things. And so one of the things that we started doing was, was writing process docs. We have like over 150 or 200 process docs in the company. And we started doing that like early on, like when Adam and I were, were really early on at the company, we spent days where we just write like back to back, like 15 hour days, just like writing docs, writing docs, writing docs. And, and that's really helped us scale and grow. Um, and, and, and that's just been part of the culture. Cause again, if you're next to each other, you can be like, oh, let me just show you this thing real quick. But if you're right. if you gotta do a call and on Slack and on some other stuff, you're just like, wait, like we should just document it and you can read it. And then I'm I'm here for questions, but we have a good foundation of documentation. And so I think just being fully remote forces you to adopt these practices that you typically can get away with in, in smaller companies. Some of the some of the challenges is is, is time zones, right? So we have people in, in the US. Uh, we have no one actually in the West Coast now. Uh, we all moved to Miami um, just because <laughs> it was open and, and we were a little bit, you just wanted some change or not anyway, for a number of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, So we all moved to LA. So that's not all coasts, but we have people in Europe and we have people in Asia. And so what we have set up is this working band. So everyone of the company is expected to be online from around um, I think like 9am PST to noon PST. That band changes sometimes but we have three hours at least where we really expect everyone to be online. And so that's where our all hands is. That's where we have a, a meeting called archive social where we all just hang out and, and sometimes we play poker, play different games, just do breakout rooms and just do some casual water cooler, chill stuff. And so that we, we have a band where everyone can collaborate but we also have you know, asynchronous meetings and discussions so that if someone is doing something in one time zone, they're very, very productive and, and can get feedback when the person in another time zone is is ready to work. I think that having that band is, is critical. Like we could not run the company without that band, right? And so it requires people in Asia and Europe to work later schedules and it requires people in the US to work earlier schedules. And I think that's just part of
0: what we communicate when we start the company or when yeah. we bring people onto the company.
1: Yeah, makes
0: sense. And I love how you said you... Uh, you and your partner just would write processes. That's something Tim and I, a- as of recently, we've started writing our own processes for our own businesses. And I hate it. Like I absolutely despise it. Like it's meticulous, like how to schedule an appointment for a new client or a patient. And it's like, open your phone. All right, step two, like ask what days, you know? Um, but I think that's huge in terms of, cause you scaled really fast, it seems like. yeah. Uh, so to your point, integral, especially when you're not together what are some other growing pains that maybe you might not have foreseen or what other people might not see uh, from a business owner's perspective going as fast as you did? You know, it's a good thing, but what are some other growing pains of scaling your business like that? Yeah, I mean, one thing I'll I'll talk about first
2: is a quick hack. If you hate process docs, Mm -hmm. some people love writing process docs. So that might be something that you can delegate. One thing you can do is just record yourself doing it. So at least there's like a reference and it's not maybe a written process, but someone can just watch a video. So there's tools like Loom and so that you can do that. And then you can have the new person that is gonna follow your process. You can be like, hey, your job is to document this video and write it up, right? And so you can do so in, in, in a scalable way. Again, if you hate doing it, you don't have yeah. to do it. I don't mind doing it. And also when I see the bigger picture, I'm like, yo, I'm excited to have a really big, awesome company and have people onboard it in a really chill way. So like, let's write this process doc but but um you know some people really just hate that kind of stuff and, and yeah. there's ways around it but so that, that's like a quick little tip in terms of, yeah in terms of challenges i think um i mean one thing is, is something that we saw in the engineering and, and design collaboration um where we went from just one team of uh you know four people that knew each other really well to now two teams of, of four to five people each on, on different products is we used to have like, people just like DMing each other and just going on calls in Slack um, and, and and working on features in an undocumented way. And that just really, like the last three months, became painful. Um, and, and so we're moving a lot of our process and have been moving to, again, async collaboration. When you're designing a feature, you're more thoughtful. Maybe share a couple of videos to explain the context and then communicate in a public way. But I think... Breaking people's habits to just do work over DMs has, is, is a constant pain. And, and we, that's it. we're we like, yo, do not talk about work in DMs. Do it in a public channel, right? Because like other people might not care, but they might. And it's just better to have it in Slack and in a documented way. Another thing is management training. So one of the things that we're excited about is using our company as a platform to level people up and give people like really awesome career growth. And so we have people coming out of school and in six months they have direct reports. And that's really awesome in some ways. And that's also challenging in some ways. And so management training, you know, Adam, Jeff and I, and and Evgeny, we've all been managers before we had that experience. So, and and we study it and we always try to get better at it and and help each other. So we're, you know, on, on a higher level than someone just starting out. And so it was easy for us to bring in Derek reports and, and have good structure there. But when you go from you managing, individual contributors to managing managers who are then training their own managers, that's that's actually hard because there's a lot of one-offs that happen or, or infrequent things that happen with a manager like, hey, this person's underperforming. Hey, this person has to go to maternity leave. Hey, this person is like having like a, a war with this other team member. It, 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 there's, there's ways to handle these things, but there's so many different things and they don't come up that frequently that we've actually found it pretty challenging to build up that framework. That, that's, I think, one of our biggest challenges. And then I think another thing is is just managing like demand and capacity, right? Um, so sometimes you have you a lot of capacity, and then people are maybe a little bit more free and but most of the time you just don't have you have too much demand and not enough capacity, and like it's kind of like a constant battle between hiring more people and and, and building software and demand so that's that's like a been a big challenge for us.
0: yeah: yeah, it's fascinating how. You know, I, I wouldn't have thought of that, you know, the, from the DMs to, you know, people having to leave or a battle with somebody else. Um, ha- have you found good ways to, to solve those, still working through those? How, how have you kind of broken bad habits and, and also um, addressed challenges between teams? Yeah, I think one of the
2: one of the building blocks is just an accountability system. And we do that through one-on-one. So every team member has a weekly one-on-one with their manager. And so that covers a couple of different things. Um, it's a weekly doc. The interesting thing, the way we do it is it's not a meeting where you show up and just have a conversation and, and just see what's going on. Hey, what'd you work on this week? So the report has to do prep work. It, it's a template. The report has to do prep work for it. He will He or she will share some updates, some wins. Um, report on any of their KPIs, their pipelines, their, their OKRs or their goals and, and just surface the good and the bad and the statuses. They will also share peer feedback, anything great that they saw in the org, anything bad they had in the org. And so we make it very clear for people to just like, Hey, like, there's a section in this doc that is really, really important to us for you to just comment on what's going on and, and, and help be the eyes and ears. And then there's a, uh, another section for, for feedback good things for the report from the manager, bad thing and and critical and positive feedback. And and it goes both ways. The report gets the comment and the manager gets the comment. Mm. And so the report does one draft and shares all of their information. Then the manager reads it before the actual meeting and will leave written comments. And then the report then goes, read those comments and answers them. So by the time there's the one-on-one meeting, you've already had like the conversation like once, twice, a third time. And so you're really talking about like the deep, like important issues. And everything that we do is there's a next action for everything. So if there's a problem, like, Hey, um, I woke up late. It's like, okay, like, why did you wake up late? Please propose a solution. It's like, Oh, like I forgot to set my alarm. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, just set a weekly alarm. So you don't have to remember to set your alarm. And that's like a checkbox. And every week, part of the one-on-one is going through those accountability items and reviewing them and just, being accountable to the manager, the manager is not like checking, the report is actually saying like, hey, I actually did all my stuff. Check, 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 check. If not, here's why. And so just having that system of accountability means that you can instill change in in people's behavior because you can be like, okay, cool. We we decided to do one thing. Did we do it? If yes, great. We can move on. If not, no. So having that system is really important for, for scaling things. Now, for example, for DMs, right? This is something that we solve in a number of ways. We have culture principles that are written down. They're like, hey, here's why we don't want you to do work-related DMs in Slack. Reason one, reason two, reason three. During onboarding, we mentioned during the calls. And then we have documentation so that if anyone notices and we encourage people to not snitch, but to give feedback on people that are doing work DMs because we care about it, it's a company principle, and we want people to improve and and get better at enforcing our company principles. And so that usually gets flagged to a manager, the manager has a conversation, the manager will share that written principle as a reminder, and there's a checkbox like, hey, this week, be thoughtful about your work DMs. And so I think the combination of those written principles that we have defined, and, and we as a group of people agree with and are excited about and this accountability system with one-on-ones makes it really easy to kind of like track and improve change, right? And, and typically, you know, everyone on the team is excited to learn and grow and, and is at the company because they like our culture and they, they got a teaser about it and are excited to kind of like learn more about it and, and get immersed in it. So usually it's, it's bad habits that they don't necessarily want to maintain um, and, and they're excited to change. So uh, proactiveness as team members and, and willingness to grow is also critical here.
0: That's great. Quite a system you got over there, Paul. It's like a system of systems, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it's all processes. Was it was it tough for you to uh, delegate? Like, you know, being hands-off, I know you've been part of companies in, in the past, so maybe it wasn't as much so, but now that it's it's kind of your thing, you know, I know you said yeah. co-founders, but was it tough for you to kind of let go of some things? I mean, tell me
2: like the name of one manager that found <laughs> delegation easy, right? I think yeah. it's like, it, it, it's it's hard if I delegate hard. a
0: process manual like that's gonna be easy for me
2: <laughs> i mean but then you have to set up like kpis and then coach them and make sure it's good and you have to trust anyway it, it's it's hard mm-hmm. yeah it, it and i am i like to help people and i I'm, I'm productive and like to get stuff done so a lot of my feedback in, in in we have performance reviews. Like in my last performance review, was like, "Yo, Paul, you should just like let other people do things." You know, like <laughs> let people struggle, uh, let people struggle and and have their own issues and come with a solution. And so I think that that is something that I've struggled with and, and that I, I continue to struggle with. Um, and that's something that a lot of our managers and, and, and execs are also struggling with. Like every, even if you think you're good at delegating, you're probably not delegating enough um, unless you've you've been coached and just have a really really good system for it. it it's hard to do and. It gets harder and harder because it's one thing to delegate like, hey, schedule this appointment. Okay, cool, that's done. That's a process, there's a schedule. But like when you were doing it, you weren't just doing the job. You were also thinking about how to improving it. You were understanding business context. You were like, hey, let's use Calendly instead of Google Calendar. And so in order to delegate something like really, really effectively, there's increasing levels of ownership. You need to have like quality control systems. You need to make sure the person is is not just equipped to do the job, and equipped to build context over time and skills over time so that they can improve that function as as the company grows right and it's easy to delegate like a small thing but now you're delegating like a whole PL. you know you're like hey like you're you're in charge of the revenue of this part of the business and that's obviously harder than delegating like a small process so i guess it just always gets harder and harder and um i mean nothing not not much to it apart from thinking through like different frameworks of doing it and also having really good trust in people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah
1: i mean besides, besides delegating learning how to delegate is there anything that you've learned about yourself as a leader or anything that um anything that you've improved upon from a management standpoint besides delegation
2: yeah um i'll think of a couple of things so I think one thing is there's a principle, it's like the loudest voice in the room. So uh, when you start a company, you're usually pretty experienced about things. And a lot of people are kind of like joining, joining the mission. And it, it, it can be really easy to give your opinion all the time. And one thing that I'm always working on and trying to do more and more is give people a chance to speak. Because if I, if we have a problem and there's eight of us in a room and we suggest something and I'm like, Hey, we should really do this then a lot of the, a lot of people are gonna be like, oh, like the CEO said this, he's done an e for a long time. Like I can't be more right than him, but sometimes they are, they have more context. And so one of the things that, that, that can be helpful is, is letting new people at the company speak first, giving them a chance and encouraging them to chat. Um, Cause they, they are more, they're more likely to be biased by your ideas. And so that's, that's been hard for me. Cause I'm, I like, I like to share ideas. I like to participate. And so that's a habit I've been, you know, getting a lot better at. Um, and, and then I think just delegations not like a one-off thing, like I mentioned. So I think I've gotten like much, much more thoughtful about it and, and, and better at it. Gotcha.
1: Mm-hmm. Paul, what did you do before this company? I know you said you, you lived in uh, Silicon Valley, San Francisco. Can you give us a little background on like what led up to this?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm actually French. I was born in Paris and my dad uh, worked and still works for IBM. So we were expatriated. So I spent six years in France, three years in London, three years in New York and kind of got all mixed up. Then I went to college at Stanford University. I studied computer science, studied systems. So I was always excited about building products and things, but systems was excited exciting for me because I was like, hey, if I'm going to learn computer science, let me just go learn the hard stuff. Um, at During school, I really just got sick of classes and I was just working on like projects, did a lot of extracurricular stuff. That's where I met Jeff, spent a lot of time in crypto, it was like 2014. So I built mining rigs and imported like graphic cards from France because it was like duty free and way cheaper and, and mm-hmm. couldn't live in my own room because it was too hot from all the crypto mining and stuff. So spent some time on crypto projects as I graduated. Um, and then I spent a little bit of time a- across like different projects, helping friends with this and that. and. Really, my first job was at a company called NutriBox, which renamed to HVMN, the company that that I'm proud of being a part of and, and that's doing really good right now, Health via Modern Nutrition. I spent five about four and a half, five years there. I started off as an engineer and we we were all engineers. We were building this CPG company and we were excited about building personalized nootropics and thinking that we could just engineer like the best consumer company for nootropics and human performance. And I think we slowly learned like all of us that we had to learn about marketing and like product development for CPG and finance and all of the stuff that like they don't teach you in computer science school, but are super, super valuable to building consumer products. And that led to kind of like a lot of learning and change. And so through that, kind of like learn about my role was was um, engineering and uh, e-commerce and digital marketing. So I learned how to find and recruit engineers and, you know, started to learn about building a team there. I learned about e-commerce. We actually like built our own platform before moving over to Shopify. So a lot of experience with high freedom, but hard to change, hard, hard to move quickly, moving over to Shopify, being kind of like locked into this fast moving, but, but, but locked in restrictive ecosystem. And, and I think that led to a lot of the ideas and insights for archive. Um, but yeah, really that, that was it. Just learned a lot about, e-commerce and digital marketing through that experience and I think just always trying to reach out to people and agency owners and other brand owners to be like hey like this is not working for us like how do we do it how do we do it and then you know learning from from that perspective
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's a good path yeah. yeah sounds like sounds like uh you're very busy in college busy in a good way
2: <laughs> yeah I mean I was like so busy but like just did nothing in class like I, I would just right. like it, every that's the I, way to do
1: it though honestly yeah. i mean every, you, were, you were you were in real life skills real life skills. i mean I, I think
2: there's 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 two ways to do it either you go full on the educational path and really just take the educational journey which is cool and fine and and and, and awesome like i know some people that build really good skills and networks working with professors and, and learning really a lot more computer science than me around like database and things like that and they're off to like great places um and my i was just like yo i'm just gonna basically do as little work as possible. And
0: yeah, yeah. Say it
1: worked out pretty well for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, well,
0: so far, so good. I definitely got caught in the the academic of like, you know, you graduate, you go to college and you get, and then it was after like that first job out of college. I'm like, Oh man, fuck that system. Like that's, that's not it. Where I w- wish I would have spent more time in college figuring out things like, like you did, you know, the, the offhand stuff, because man, I got this one friend. He's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go get my master's. I'm like, for what? Like, you know, start a business. You'll get more yeah. experience starting a business, probably a hell of a lot cheaper. I mean, I mean, like I think the yeah, I, think, start, I think but- the
2: cost of education is, is a real challenge. Like I have some friends that left masters or things like that with a ton of debt. And that, that's tough. Mm-hmm. That just that's. That, that, that just puts a lot of restrictions on, on yeah, your yeah. life for potentially like 10 years. So I think that's like a really tough part. And it's hard for a kid to get that right. Like if you don't have debt after college, you have a job, you save some money, you can have some investments, you can think about this and that. But if, if you're, if you got to pay back, like, I don't know how many thousands of dollars a, a year or a month, it's hard to start a business. You know, it's hard right. to have freedom. It's hard to just think about going on vacation and buying a, a buying like an Arduino and, and doing some stuff. Cause you're like, no, I got to like put it in the, so yeah, I think that's tough.
0: Yeah. And it's like, you pay X amount and then you come out and you're not even worth a quarter of that to anybody.
2: Yeah. So that, that's interesting. It's like, well, what do you, what do you pay for? So, you know, I went to a, I mean, I think part of the value of, of the school I went to is, is the stamp and the credential, right? I think there, there's like valuable network networking and community. I think in terms of the classes, it's like, I do not think there's like a massive difference between curriculums at Stanford potentially and, and and some other you know schools that are not as as kind of like fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the network was really valuable and also the, the stamp and the credibility that this gets you. And that's something that I try not to... There's, so there's a lot of things in the world and biases in the world that you do not agree with, but as an operator, you want to take advantage of them, right? Um, it's like, I, I don't like judge people by which school they went to. And, and we've hired people not even asking like what school they went to, but like, we'll for sure flex on our, you know, Stanford creds when, when we need to, to, to leverage that social proof. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Makes sense.
0: Yeah. Hey, yeah, making a point with, with leverage. Um, I know that's kind of a topic we we're going to touch on today too. In, in your business, how do you use leverage with your marketing, your influencers? Um, and h- how does that relationship work? Yeah. I'm curious, do you want maybe clarify the question a little bit more? Because I, what do you, what do you mean exactly by, because
2: you, you, you specifically, well, I guess influencers, yeah. right? Yeah, so, sorry.
0: So like when you have um, newer influencers leveraging your position with their position uh, to really, I guess, get the best of both worlds, Yeah. You know, where, where it's good for both of you guys um, in terms of the deal, I guess.
2: Yeah. So that's interesting. That's, that's a good, good question. And the way we run it is, when we work with influencers, we represent the brand. And so we'll say like, if if Paul is reaching out to influencers and we're checking smaller influencers, right? Typically between like five to 25,000 followers. So it's usually not a big deal or something. And, you know, we, we, we're, we're on behalf of the brand. And I think the leverage that we have is we try to be friends and approachable and super casual. And you, you wouldn't necessarily think about as leverage and, and we typically don't, but, would I have friends that have millions of followers and I see them doing free things and I see them charging $50,000 for worse versions of those free things that give away. So with influencers, there is such a huge spread of value you can get from every influencer. So you, you got to like, as you mentioned, like capture that leverage and the way we've done it with nano influencers is, is to be really friendly, uh, super open and be like, Hey, like I, I like your content. Um, we have cool products. Here's why you'd like them. You want to just try them. No commitment super, super chill. And we actually find better performance doing that and starting off that way than like, hey, um, saw your content, want to try this. It's worth $50. We want a story post in exchange. And and that's just locks people in. When when people try the product, they're like, okay, cool. Like no commitment. Sure. I'll take this free stuff. And if they like it, they'll post it. If they don't like it, do you even want them to post? It? Not really. Right. It just puts you in a weird spot. Um, so, so just building relationships and doing so in a very kind of awesome way, friendly way is really what we try to shoot for. And one of the special things about our programs is that we can really work with a thousand influencers and have them have a real authentic relationship with the brand, feeling like they can get hooked up by a homie at the company in in, in a scalable way. And that's hard to do. And that's what influencers want. They, They just want to feel like they're special. How do we do that? Responding really, really quickly and in a really not canned way, you know? Yeah.
0: So do you guys have a lot of like cold DM email approaches? Yeah and and how does because I hear a lot of marketers go back and forth like you should do it, you shouldn't do it. you know, you have the Gary V's of like, hey, reach out to a hundred people a day or you know spend a few hours and just, hey, can you try this? Can I send you this? Um, what's kind of your guys' approach and what's really worked in terms of just shooting a cold DM because I've gotten them where I'm like, it's so off-putting, I want to throw up, right? But how have you guys kind of mastered that approach?
2: Yeah. So I think it just depends what you're offering to like, if you're cold DMing someone to do something like, just, I mean, it's, if it's super transactional, if it's not good value for them, it, it's going to be like an annoying, like maybe not good experience. Sometimes you got to take that rejection though. Right. Like sometimes you're just starting up, you got to do it and it's okay. Um, sure. But, but with us, it's, it's, we work with awesome companies and we're like, Hey, do you want like some really delicious like keto cereal that everyone's like raving about it? Or do you want some? and And so they're like, Oh my God, this is great. Like sure, why not?" if we were like, Hey, here's an offer, here's a post, here's what you got to do. It would probably be a lot more tedious and we'd not get as good results. Cause people are like, mm-hmm. no, like I just pay me. You want all these specific things like pay me. We're just like, yo, just, just try the product. And and we start from that perspective. In terms of like what works, if you're starting out, and you're a small business and trying to ramp up influencer marketing, here's what you should do. You should reach out to influencers on Instagram and you should DM them. And then you should comment on their feed post and send say, hey, I, I DM you, check it out. And maybe like like a couple of things, give them a little bit of support. That's what you will get the highest response rates for. Mm. Now, is that what we do? No, because we're working with thousands of influencers and we'd get rate limited by Instagram and all that stuff. And, and you can't really manage IG DMs in a, in a sophisticated way. So we do it all through email. So we will cold email influencers, and, and have conversation through email. And brands really like that because they can still do customer support and things like that in IG IGDMs. Um, we get still really, really good reply rates and things like that because we've built good infrastructure and, and have a good playbook for that. Um, but if you're starting out, an easy thing to do is just DM people on Instagram and comment, like you'll double your response rate if you leave a comment on one of their posts. Again, it depends how big they are. If you're talking about 50,000 or less followers, which again, if you're starting out, would really recommend working with smaller people to build those relationships. They'll notice. Yeah. It's a good point. And it's like, it's like, yeah, like same thing for like VCs, right? It's like, cool. If you have someone that can intro you or you've worked with a VC or someone there, it's like, take that. Right. But it's like, are you really going to say, I'm not going to do sales? I'm not going to work with influencers. I'm not going to raise money because I can't get a warm intro. It's like, no, like do that. And then do whatever you can to get closer to warm intros. If you feel like that's possible, do some networking, like find out what works. Um, But people have made a ton of money and gotten a ton of results with cold outreach. And you just have to just got to, got to thread the needle, right? Like don't, don't be too spammy. Don't be, don't be like sending like 50 emails (laughs) <laughs> but, but then again it works like i don't know, like, somebody, yeah, like right. you know, that actually works like account-based matter you get some SaaS companies that will send you like drip sequences of so many emails say top of mind and it works and then you sign up sometimes they yeah. even like call you and i'm like yo like don't call me bro yeah. Just email me. But, <laughs> put, but put me put, put on your works. blacklist please <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: yeah paul have you uh i'm interested about the competitive landscape for your company have had have, have your has your company identified like any like prime competitors that are doing the same thing as you? What's that look like right now?
2: Yeah. I mean, with archive communities are, I think we have two types of competitors, maybe three types of competitors, right? So huh. one of them is traditional influencer marketing agencies, like these cool hypey New York based LA based agencies that have a lot of relationships, know all the influencers. They will be better than us at working and closing brand deals with 1 million influencers, we don't even do that. Um, And so we're very different because we can work with, we can have the same kind of like care and attention to that relationship times a thousand, but only on smaller influencers. Another competitor is gonna be like an influencer platform. So there's every week there's a new influencer platform with like this database, that database, and people post stuff, they put an offer, and then that gets blasted to a set of influencers and the influencer gets $50 for this post or whatever. And you can get results quickly but it will not be as authentic. And you also don't control the relationship with our product, archive communities, we will find and build relationships for your brand. So if you fire us after six months, thankfully it doesn't happen that often. Like we have <laughs> good retention. Um, we'll give you all the relationships back. You'll, we can do email intros. We can give you the email accounts. So mm-hmm. kind of like SEO, when you're working with archive communities, you get to own those relationships over time. And that's really valuable. That's what we want to do. We want to work with companies that work with us for two years, three years. And after like a year, two years, they have like 1,500 influencers that are really excited about the company that we can boom, activate to echo boom, this really cool product launch and have those relationships. Whereas if you're working with a a network, it's going to cost you the same amount of money every single time. There's no kind of like compounding games. If you, if you remove the credit card, you lose all your value. And then the other thing is is platforms. So there's companies, influencer marketing platforms that are uh, self-service. So they have search features that let you find influencers. They have this conversational thing so you can contact influencers and, and message them. And then they have like this campaign management stuff so you can upload content, give briefs and stuff. So that's cool. If you have someone full-time that is going to manage those relationships, but typically brands have to hire people, train them to use the software and and, 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 and probably pay for the expensive software. And so, again, I'm not saying those companies are bad, but we serve a very different purpose. And and I don't think there's a lot of companies out there that can authentically build relationships with, you know, 500 or 1,000 influencers for a brand and, and have influencers actually feel like they're talking to a human of the brand and, and have yeah. an awesome relationship.
1: Yeah, yeah that, make, that makes sense. That's, that's a good analysis. So, like, your, your, your software, from your perspective, like, how, how unique is it? Is this something that... I mean, is, can you patent this? Is this something that you would license? Is this something that you would eventually sell? Like, how, how will that work for you going forward?
2: Yeah, so we have a lot of agencies that want to white label our software. Um, just from our perspective, like demand has been really good and, and we are happy to focus on internal software for archive communities because we don't have to polish it and make it like adaptable and that lets us move really quickly and create greater value for those communities. So Mm -hmm. we're really happy with that. I think that there's a world maybe in a year, two years, where we've built so much and have expanded our community significantly that we will be able to bring on people as as self-service customers on our platform. But that's not really like a priority. Like I'd rather build in like TikTok or better performance metrics and better tracking than like making it easy for us to reset passwords and and, and do customer support, right? Um, So it just depends on on the value. Like what problem are we trying to solve with archive communities? We are are working with brands that already work with maybe 100 or 200 influencers and that want to get to a thousand. What is the quickest way and best way to do that? It's not to give them some software. It's to have this managed, managed software type relationship where we built software for us that they, you know, kind of like license through us, but we're really running it for them because that that's, what's working best. And we'll change over time. Right. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. And then, and a good example of that is, is archive app, right? We took 25% of our software that we were like, every brand should just use as no brainer. Like, why would you want your stories to disappear? You know, like if you want a story that was posted a year ago, you can't do it six months ago you can't do it so that was very clear that a lot of brands could and should use this and we set up a separate team to manage that product and 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 spin that out as a a separate standalone product it's doing really well um but again it's like more strategic and thoughtful than like hey let's just take our whole software and let anyone use it it's like hey there's a specific technology we can reuse let's also have a self-serve app that leverages that back end
0: that's awesome um, so Paul, I know you're more on software side, but what kind of pitfalls do you see with companies who may rely on influencers a little too much like have you have you seen the consequence uh, of that where a company might only be on influencers because I, I feel like I see a lot of companies on social media where their game is just influencer influencer. Um, do you see that work more am I kind of this guy did That's or? interesting.
2: I would say that it's not common for a company to be like, influencers working so well for us and nothing else is working. Mm-hmm. Usually it's Facebook or search, and they have a tough time spinning up other channels. So it's very, very common that a company is like, yo, 90% of my spend is going through Facebook. And now that this happened on Facebook, our whole company metrics just changed because we're so reliant on Facebook. So that, that is very common, that is very standard working too well on influencers is is not as usual and common. And with influencers, you can spin things off like really easily, right? So if you have a community of influencers you're working with, you can use that content for Facebook ads. You have fuel for your email. You can take those awesome photos and videos and create them into stories for email and SMS. You can put those influencers on your website. You can do whitelisting, which is when you... Um, take over an influencer's Instagram or Facebook account and run ads for your brand using their account. So it, it's a little bit different than seeing a, a an ad from a brand. You can do affiliates. And, and so there's so many ways to differentiate that. I haven't really seen that case. You, usually what happens with influencers is brands like try it and maybe don't try it well or doesn't perform well for them for some reason. Maybe they're measuring it wrong and mm-hmm. they give up on it. Uh, but I, I do not know of any brand that's like, yo, we're just doing influencers so so well and it's crushing so much and then it stopped working. Um, because typically if you do influencers well, it'll it'll compound, right? It. I think other things can happen when you have one channel, like maybe competitors enter and things like that and ensure that becomes more just just hard for brands and brands do die for different reasons. But I encourage all brands to differentiate their marketing after they've had one really good channel. But I don't think it's 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 not a common, you know, e commerce like paradigm. Cool.
0: Cool. Um, Tim, any other questions? I want to be cognizant of your time, Tupac. I know you're on retreat and, and things like that. No, no,
2: so our retreat is in Turkey. I'm just – my oh. I'm from friends, my family's in France, so I'm actually working, you know, in uh, in, in my – I'm in my family's apartment. And so just okay. seeing my family catching up, Cool, cool. It's, it's really hard to – you know, see European families with, with COVID. So
0: glad to get a little bit of family time. Well, I I do want to respect your family time. Uh, Tim, any other questions for Paul?
1: Yeah, I I really enjoy this interview. I, I, I think I asked everything I want to ask. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This has been super sweet. Um, Paul, so we always end with one, like our kind of last question for everyone, but anything else that you want to hit on um, and then also, you know, plug your socials where people can find you, things like that, but anything else, uh, that we didn't cover um, any last words that you want to make sure or no audience I, I think this was this
2: was great this was fun i think really liked how, how diverse we went talking about different things it was a really fun conversation in terms of archive check us out on archive.ai we have information on our two products archive communities if you're looking to scale a community of influencers to help with sales brand awareness different content goals and if you're a Shopify company and have anyone tagging in your stories, then go to archive.ai and check out archive app. In one click, you can install the app. A couple of clicks, you can install the app, and it'll automatically save and label your content, which can be really, really valuable for the future. Uh, you can also check me out on Twitter. It's just my last name, at B-E-N-I-G-E-R-I. And if you guys have any questions around influencer marketing, around our products, reach out on Twitter, reach out to me via email you'll you'll see a contact form on the website really happy to help brands especially if you're starting out and you're not really sure how to approach influencer marketing i can point you in the right direction more than happy to help
0: awesome and we'll uh we'll tag all your info and stuff in our like episode show notes um and i don't think i said we'll probably release this what like three weeks probably probably in the next three weeks and uh what tim and i'll do we'll like intro the episode together Uh, we'll send it to you for just final approval make sure that everything's how you want it to sound um and then yeah so we'll release that but um our our last question we always like to ask people is how that they want to be remembered so when it's all said and done paul how do you want people to remember remember you
2: that i don't really care honestly (laughs) it's I don't like, think we've ever had any of that That's the first. I like it. Yeah, I'm gonna be dead, right? So <laughs> I, I guess like I'm not too worried about my legacy. What it, it, it is, what it is. I think I just care more about you know the the journey and where things go on. So mm-hmm. I think it's like a combination of yeah. I think just like enjoying the journey is important, right? And so yeah. that, that's what I typically try to focus on. I think one of the things that's been really awesome is you know how do the team members you work with around you not like remember you, but like feel about working with you. Right. And so I feel like that's something that I try to optimize for and think about a lot more.
0: Yeah. Cool. That's perfect. Fair enough, man. I love it. Well, Paul, this is a lot of fun, man. I know we really appreciate your time. Uh, People are going to get a ton of value out of this. So I'm excited for this one to launch, but uh, yeah, thanks for taking some family time and and giving us a little bit of it uh, and enjoy your stay, man.
2: Of course. Of course. It was was great talking, really, really fun conversation and, and appreciate you guys. Good yeah.
1: deal. Take care. All
0: right, man. I'll All see right. you later. See ya.